0: Hello, and good whatever time of day it is for you, wherever you are on the internet. So, our Nerd vs. World podcast has been doing fabulously well of late, and so we decided it was about time that we started another one. Uh, if you've not heard Nerd vs. World already, then uh, by all means go and check that out. Uh, you can catch up with all the episodes of that on our website, uh, but after you listen to this one, of course. Uh, so, welcome to episode one of the Wonky Cast. Uh, we'll hopefully be putting out an episode of this uh, every Monday morning uh, and we've got a massive list of authors, musicians, comedians and so forth coming for the ne- over the next few weeks. Uh, but to uh, kick us off in style, uh, we spent a bit of time this weekend with uh, the very lovely horror and sci-fi author Theresa Derwin, who we met a couple of weeks ago at a convention in Wales uh we had a particularly pleasant evening chatting over a few beers and she invited us up to the launch event of a new anthology of horror science fiction and fantasy short stories uh so yes we caught up we chatted with Teresa and a few of the other guests about the book itself uh, about uh, gender parity in fiction and publishing and and tons more Uh, so yes by all means have a listen here it is and enjoy
1: Well, he's rolling, so we'll just jump in at some point. Uh, okay, so yeah, we're the well, Esquires in Coventry this evening for that uh, book launch. It's a very curious choice for a gender parody. <laughs> for, for her dark voice. We are, we are joined by several people around the table, so I, I don't know if people want to introduce themselves. Obviously, I'm Spindles and.
2: Um, I'm here. I'm Teresa Derwin, I run Nightwatch Press, which is an imprint of Fringeworks. Which is me, I'm
3: Adrian Martin, and I run Fringeworks, and obviously Teresa's taking her own imprint Nightwatch Press away soon, so that's where we're working together at the moment.
4: I'm Jan Edwards, I'm a writer, I'm also part of uh, the Alchemy Press, which used to be in Birmingham, now in...
2: Cool. Uh, I'm Steve Jones, I carry the boxes, and here's the green room, (laughs) the very valuable green room, and this is Jason. And I'm a dog's body. Dog's body, general dog's body, buddy's sitter. Cool,
1: okay, so does someone want to introduce us to what the event is, what the book is? Right, yeah, um,
2: we are here, hopefully, to raise lots and lots of dosh for a breast cancer campaign. We'll be joined shortly by Vicky Stock, who's an avid campaigner for cancer research. And this book actually came about four years ago as a little concept in my head. I was sharing a room with writer Raven Dane at Alt Fiction, quite a good little event that Alex used to run, he now runs Edge lit and basically we we're in the room together talking about the gender parity issue and the fact that we were a couple of lone voices screaming in the dark and on panels we were put on panels as why should women be included in fandom type panels right. as opposed to i'm a writer it's what i do yeah. so we talked about the issue of female representation in fandom and i just said i'd like to produce a book with all women writers and i'd like to prove that women can write just as dark as men can write so what we have here is a collection of 12 short stories jan is writing one of them hers is called the clinic it's a wonderful story and i won't tell you more about that she's going to talk about her story in a bit But we called it Her Dark Voice, because that's what it's about. It's about proving that women can write dark fiction. And what I also wanted to do was to do something for good. That sounds a bit cheesy, but for me, cancer research is very important. I've lost lots of family members to cancer. My cousin Yvonne, she's barely out in her 40s. She's had breast cancer for 15 years. She's in and out of hospital all of the time. And it was really important that I do something that matters, that's connected to women on a very deep level. So I started writing to people about a year and a half ago and saying, I've got this project idea and I want science fiction, fantasy, and horror, a mixture of these stories, all written by women with a dark twist. Now, a lot of people were far too busy with other writing projects, etc. But luckily, I found 10 writers. There's one lady who's got two stories in here and pulled all these stories together. We had a couple of hiccups trying to get things sorted out for an event I ran last year, but finally, I managed to pull this together in the last month or so. The edits were minor because they're all incredibly talented writers, to be perfectly honest. It was really just a typo grammar kind of how style type editing that had to be done. So it was already a great advantage. I mean, in here I've got Jacey Bedford, who's got a free book deal with Dor. She's got some new books coming out. She's quite well known in fandom. I've got Lynn M. Cochrane, who unfortunately couldn't be here today due to her health, but she sends her best wishes. And she's part of the Cannon Hill Writers Group, which is a local group we have. Linda Collins lives in Northern Ireland. We've got Jane Fenn, who science fiction fans will have heard of. We've got a couple of Americans in here who I've had dealings with through fringe works. We've got Gay Seabold, who writes for Solaris and Angry Robot. And we've got Liz Williams, who you've got to have heard of. She's a fantastic writer. And um, interestingly today, she blogged on her live journal about the issue of women in fandom, which I know you wanted to talk about. And one of the things that she was saying was, have we gone too far in respect of expecting female characters to carry swords, guns, wear leather, have daggers, be kick-ass females who can't have a relationship but have this all complex, oh, I love him, oh, I don't think going on, and have this very stereotypical romance? going on, and this very stereotypical characterisation, what about the quiet women, what about the women who just have to run a family, the mothers like Briar in Bone Shaker, the women in Redemption and Indigo by Karen Lord, what about the real natural women who exist there, they need to be represented too, we've actually got a story in here representing a lesbian relationship which I was really pleased to see, because you don't see that very often either, yet it's a part of life it's a part of what happens. So it's, it's an ongoing debate at the minute, and I wanted to be part of that, mm. because it's something I'm very passionate
1: about. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot that's been said recently in terms of I think one of the, the main points at the moment is, and in, certainly in terms of films and TV, is Josh Wheaton, yeah. who constantly gets asked, you know, kind of why do you always write strong female characters, to which his response is normally, uh, because people still keep asking you that question.
2: Yeah.
5: I yeah, I've was, heard that. We went to a talk by Neil Gaiman and said, about, you know, you, you write uh, you know, really wonderful female characters. He said, uh, well, you know, I grew up with the fact that, that there was a woman in a book that was generally a bloke with breasts. Um, yeah. It wasn't actually a woman. And he says, well, you know, writing female characters, I mean, you've, got, you've all got a... A mother, or a
2: sister, or a grandma, and, and women in your life. How can you not write decent
3: female characters? Yeah, and what about
2: elderly women? They don't exist. I
3: you were going to say something. I think it's been an evolution. I mean, Ursula K. Le Guin, in an interview where she once gave, she was asked why she wrote about male characters. So, because she wanted to be published. It was the advantage, the benefit of. Um, writing male characters was that she got published. And in terms of stories that involve female characters now, um, there's still a very large male readership out there. Um, The women that were writing and introducing female characters were writing for a male audience to start with. Um, The female audience that um, tends to follow science fiction genre does tend to be a female audience who love the urban fantasy genre and are, are, are used to strong female leads taking the male role, um, so it, it, it only seems natural for me that that's the, the direction that the fiction's yeah. got. Um, from a man's point of view, I actually find writing for female characters easier than writing for male characters, because there's a single guy for the last 20 odd years, um, You know, most of the people that I've got to know really well have been women, and so I find that because I base things on reality, I can write about women. And you know, what what I see as a as a a heroic female lead is not the protagonist who goes out and has fist fights, hits people with swords, and things like that, but actually the inquisitive, nosy, pushy. Brainy.
2: The Gael Carragher and Emma Newman type yeah. female out lead, of, out of uh,
3: you know, out of joint character who is having to fight for their lives in mm-hmm. because that's what we see in reality on
4: the screen. So goes back to Josh. We... Yeah. Buffy is that nosy,
2: yeah, girl, yeah.
4: plucky girl, but she is
2: kick as well, and she that's has exactly. vulnerabilities, which is important. She's, She's real.
4: She has a for of friends. Faith, on the other hand
1: came in as the archetypal kick-off.
4: She's like a kind of Terminator well, mm. She's like your
2: villainess, so she's yeah. completely mm. psychotic. Yes.
4: Mm. But, she, but she is that kick-off, and well, that is repeated again and again. To offset that
2: need. Yes. I have to point out, you about this. I mentioned it to Liz today, one of the characters that stands out for me, you'll have to forgive me because I can't remember the character's name, I read so many books and do so many book reviews, is the one by Seanan McGuire in her Discount Armageddon series. What I liked about this girl is she's pretty, but she's not, you know, standout gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous. She wears spangly outfits. She's a ballroom dancer, but she also happens to protect the cryptids hidden under the streets of this urban village that she lives in. So she's got both of those qualities. She can fight, but she also does a great turn in a little dance and... She's pretty and she likes girly things and there's no harm to like pink.
5: <laughs> you can like
2: pink, it is allowed. You can still be a strong woman and like pink. And that's what the Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign is all about actually. They use then, pink as their signature colour. There again then, don't you think that's gone too far? It has a little bit with all the you pink going over. You
4: catalog catalogue like Argus catalogue or something like that? If every single girl's toy is pink.
2: That annoys me. That really, that really annoys me. Annoys me. Just, you oh, can't, get it. you
5: can't get away from it. You can't get away from the ink. the background behind the toys are yeah. also pink. Um, yes. and it's you look in the sections and it's pink, purple, pink, pink, Blue, red, blue, red. Yeah. And I can remember my daughter coming back when she was eighteen months old and she said. Well, I have to like pink, I'm a girl. And, oh, uh, boys are brave, know, and girls are... That, that's a boys' colour. Oh, it, oh yes. Oh, I want to play football. When I, can I play football when I'm a boy, when I grow up? I'm like, no, you can play football, you can do anything. You can be brave, you can be what you want You can want be what be, you want, and, and that's... Like the colour you want to like, and not be... And, and you can be independent. So the what?
4: whole pink thing is, is I think, gone too far, because it's, it's come to represent female kind in, in society. Well, you have to like pink Well, you have to, must like pink mm. if you're a girl. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the kind you of don't
2: have girl. to, <laughs> but it's okay to like pink as well. Yeah. It's, it's okay it, to like makeup and still kick yeah. somebody's ass.
4: It
3: started out as an imposition on homosexuals in Germany in, in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, it, it's kind of, it was used to say, those men are girly in mm-hmm. a very fascist society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that... I guess manufacturers picked up on during that period and, 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 and used, and yeah. it kind of evolved and survived that, that period into something different. I mean, yeah, if you want to like pink, you like pink. If you're a guy, I guess you've got to call it puce. But, <laughs> yeah, women, I tend to find women wear Bourbon and black. and. Oh, my goodness. You're
2: black, oh, we're all wearing black, uh, apart from a little bit know, pink going on <laughs> there.
3: But it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's almost a myth. That, that I do pink now, though. The only time pink people say they like pink is when they've got a lot of pink.
5: <laughs>
4: Are
3: you um, looking at me? No, no, no <laughs> if, if, if your childhood is pink, or your childhood is blue if you're a guy or whatever, um, you just surrounded by stuff that colour and it becomes sort of...
5: The it's it's the nature-based nature, the verse, nature it, argument, it exists, isn't I just, I know, so it? I remember it
3: didn't exist when I was teddy bears. I had to, I, my first teddy bear had a blue bow, um, and pink and blue was more about the child. You know, when the child is born, mm-hmm. and it was about decorating the room, the colour or whatever. And when you entrench something like that, it just you know it, 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 it just moves on. And the thing is that. In terms of writing, the people that are writing tend to be people who are outsiders, who are breaking the mold, who are fighting against conformity. Mm. And if people fight against conformity, the last thing that they want to do is represent
4: it.
2: Yeah. Mm.
5: Yes. A great way to be non conformist, though, is to go to a rock club wearing pink. Yes. <laughs> you, say,
3: you know that guy, the one in black? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm to a rock club wearing
5: a white suit. Believe me, that's good <laughs> <laughs> I bet.
2: Yeah. See, um, I want to bring it back again to the gender, just to plug myself, if you don't mind. By all means. Yeah. By all means. Excellent. <laughs> um, I've written quite extensively on the whole gender parity and gender in. Bandom issues and was actually bullied over my TAF campaign quite extensively when I was running for TAF last year over this, because I decided that I should have a chance because I'm a woman, and that was taken very, very harshly. Mm. But also, um, I've written an essay called Vaginas in Horror. Yes, I did say that out loud, vaginas in horror, because there was a big uproar back in February during Women in Horror Month. Now, every February, every year, for the past couple of decades, there has been Women in Horror Month, which is women like horror too. And as part of a book coming out called Horror 101, which contains a plethora of essays to help new horror writers gain their feet and give advice, etc. I sort of took the angle to do with networking and why ostracise 50% of your readership by being an idiot over gender, and by not accepting the fact that women write horror too. But this argument that came up was, I won't name the individual, but he... No, 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 I I really couldn't, it wouldn't be fair. But um, he went online, all over Facebook and on the internet, and posted a pair of the lips that the women use for the Women in Horror Month symbol, with a pair of little fans coming out of them, like a vampire tilted it to the left so it was vertical, stuck to it, a map of a vagina next to it, and said, why are you, pathetic women, using a picture of a vagina when you're trying to get out of that box? So he assumed that the lips meant vagina. There was a big, massive uproar, and then the hashtag Vaginas in Horror started, and it's still going strong. And in sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? In... Against this kind of misconception running, tons of women over Facebook and female horror authors, including Rhiannon Frota, they used the lip symbol to represent themselves for that whole month of February to say, look, lips are mine, I can show my lips, I can wear lipstick, I can do what I want. It does not mean I'm using the vagina to represent who I am. Mm. And that was really quite a huge uproar over that one. But I refer to it in my essay, Vigranas in Horror, and I called it Vaginas in Horror to specifically taunt and tantalise mm. and to say, look, there is a problem here. Mm. Yes, I agree with Jan. It's not as big a problem as some of the private workplaces as I experienced in the civil service, as the experience we would have had 20, 30 years ago. But unfortunately, it is still an issue and mm. it shouldn't be. Gender parity, as Jan said, shouldn't be an issue. No, it
4: should be because you're good, not, not, not the effects. Yeah,
2: other you parts, should be accepted. It's getting the challenge you are. To be good,
1: that's the problem. Yeah, Emma Newman flattered it up recently with uh, the, water the, stones. the Waterstones issue. Yeah. They've basically produced a list of who you should be reading but in science fiction, fantasy, and horror and so forth. isn't
4: the bookseller. It's the yeah. publicists from the... Actual publishing companies yeah. who paid to have these books on yeah. the reader well, to, on the face. They paid for those face outs.
5: But with, with the Waterstones thing as well, it wasn't just the, the new women writers were being ignored, really new well, writers. It, it was in, in general. general book, yeah, I
1: think we, it was like most of them that yeah, hadn't been, anything think was published in the last 10 the years. Um, yeah, 90% of them had been dead for 20 years.
3: Them. The other problem is that the high school book selling uh, was contracting in terms of what it put out there which means that there's only a limited number of series for new books. And because there is still a legacy of male-dominated science fiction readers, um, if you were given a choice of two books, um, the one that you know is most likely to sell is by a male. Um, and in science fiction, that is still the situation. Do you think that is
1: still the situation? It is still the situation. It's still the
3: situation. And, and it's, I actually think it's got worse since the 1980s. Really? Um, OK. And the reason, the reason for that is, in the 90, late 70s and early 1980s, we had um, the emergence of some brands that started to really take off in role-playing uh, and in comics. Hmm. You had the 2000 AD, yep. and you had um, Games Workshop. Yep. Um, both of those were very male-dominated. Yes, yes, very um, yes, And, you know, it's been hard for Games Workshop to get successful female writers to stay with them. And, uh, In fact, it's been hard for them to, to, to I think, Anne Lyle to mind but outside yeah. of that as Sarah Corkwell's um, recently and, got a book coming out with um,
2: Solaris and
3: the thing is that the process of having in-house staff and paying peanuts for these books uh, and for these these comics means that the only people who are interested and in looking at that gateway are the guys that read the comics and play the role-playing games yeah. and at, at the time they were
1: targeting i mean going to
4: through a with the well, no, completely games. unrealistic those but representations
1: sure. of women don't yeah. I'm of Forrest don't
3: of 12-year-old boys. And when you're targeting 12-year-old boys, there's not many 12-year-old girls you're going to target. Mm. And anybody who's older than 12 isn't even aware of what's going on. <laughs> so it's too late. I, 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 guess... was, I was reading that stuff when I was 12, but I did
4: it for older brother. mm. the brothers. Yeah, yeah. my reading material,
2: See my father, he brought me up on Dracula and the lights, yeah. so I was okay to yeah. start with. So, I mean, I, I'm still very much,
1: there. very much involved in the in the role playing and live role playing community now, and I, I mean, there has certainly within that community been a massive shift uh, towards kind of uh, equal um, amount of male women in yeah. it now. Um, the, 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 when I started, there certainly wasn't. There were like maybe two or three girls in, in the entire club, out like 50 so, people. There's been a major
3: victory this year in, in the game workshop world because, of course, they've actually come out and announced that they're allowing female space marines or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yes. Doing that. Uh, you know, six months ago, you had a right go with a
2: couple of the people. Yeah, a couple of the like people on the panels.
3: Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, they, they could only recommend one book to Teresa read which was the one with the sisters battling because nothing else did apparently they're
2: not real female space marines exactly
3: and of course when i think of females in the game workshop world i remember six breasted figures of the demon demons of slanesh or whatever they were Mm. the chaos demonettes of slanesh which was well six breasted six naked breasts of course female figures that were the only female figures you saw Mm. Um, and you know, it, well, yeah and, and, and the, the thing is as well it was a legacy of sexist fiction in the 70s yes. um, and yeah, you've mentioned John Norwood but it's it just, you
5: know if you read any book
3: from, from the 1950s through to the 1970s there is an undercurrent of sexism and misogyny which is a boy yeah, avoidable. John mm. uh, yeah. yeah, Ian mm. yeah. You yeah. Know, I like it. It, yeah, it, it's so. there with all of them so um, it's, it's so hard because, you know, you had Female science fiction writers writing as men, James Tiptree, Jr. Yeah. Um, whoever, you know, it was safer to pretend to be a man to get published,
4: which was crazy. CJ so you know,
1: Chair, yeah. Yeah. Julian May. Yeah, Julian
2: yeah. May yeah. yeah, there is there is a writer who I'm going to give her secret and divulge it now, Jane Fenn. I won't tell you the publisher, but she venomously went against the idea that she would be Jay Fenn. She really went against the whole initial thing and held her stand and won her battle. But the fact that she had to fight that battle, and this was in the last ten years, isn't good. Because women can't write science fiction. Hello, have you read Karen Lord? Naomi Foyle? Stephanie Salter? I could go on and on. yeah, I mean, there's been many...
4: As you say, many have had initials rather than their
3: real names because but that goes back to george Yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, i mean, <coughs> I, mean start, I, I have to say and i don't mean to be rude that the hard route is the woman fighting to get published there's yeah. always been the woman fighting to get published the easy route should be the men who recognize that this is an issue writing about female characters and actually creating <laughs> Memorable stories that buck the trend that become something that people can argue about. Um, you know, if, if R. Tolkien had been a little bit stronger with his female characters, um, yes, well, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah I know. That, would have, that would have had an impact, you know. And, and if one or two classic writers had actually taken up the torch for women, when it was all men. Mm. Um, that would make it easier for women to write what they want to write. And, and it's, very, it's very difficult to know, when I'm looking at books by women, whether it's a book they're writing because it's the niche that they can be published in, like urban fantasy, mm. or whether they are writing what will get them published.
4: Mm. Having said so that as an editor of, of anthologies, yeah. I have found, when I do Dark Horizons, and be for the VFS, I've been doing stuff for the Alchemy mm. Press, that for every ten men, mm.
5: you
4: get one, two women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is just mm. It's just a new social part.
2: It's absolutely true. It I mean, I think so one of our books, f- Cadavers, coming out, maybe it's the topic, dead bodies, so. could be that we had mostly men who submitted mm. to oh. that. Yeah, mostly men. It is, it
4: is quite true that, I mean, who was it, um, Tor? The editor of Tor did a, a survey, yeah. and, and she proved that again, that, that so many more men submitted, particularly in the science fiction mm. area, yeah. so many more men than women.
2: But is it a confidence movement. thing? Is it because they are told they're not allowed to do these self-fulfilling well, prophecies? Is, I think, they with, I think it, when they families, they've probably got more It time. is a
4: confidence
2: thing, I mean, we, we were lucky. We, we actually got
3: a big hit on female writers almost from the beginning. But we made a point of
2: advertising the fact, with me being a kind of Um, waving feminist. That that was important. One of the things
3: that was very important to me when I set up fringe works, Uh, I set up fringe works, then Theresa came on board, and then Nigel Press came on board, and the Theresa's win. But one of the things that that stood out to me was that you know I was a guy setting up an imprint. Big deal. Um, you know, I wasn't really going to have any impact, except for the fact that I believed that the ideas that I had and what I was going to do were different to everybody else. Mm. Um, now I've got a bit of a reputation, and I can go it alone as a man. And that, that might sound crazy, but I can go it alone as a man because people know who I am and what I do, and that it's different. Yeah. Initially, I'm quite open. That the thing that made the difference to me was actually having a bolshy, um I won't say attention-seeking, but a very, very large-than-life personality, running an imprint that was screaming, "win." And from that perspective, I was happy to sit back and not take the limelight because Theresa was doing a great job promoting things, but also she was attracting a little bit of controversy, a little bit of a a backlash, but at the same time, I mean, people didn't know whether... um, whether she was actually fringe works or I was Fringeworks half the time, um, and that, that created a little bit of confusion, but the, the, the truth of the matter was that if you wind her up, let her go, um, which sounds terribly chauvinistic <laughs> now. So, yeah,
2: but um, I know yeah. what you mean, yeah. I, I take it in if, the vein, if, it was if, <laughs> if, if you
3: nudge in a certain direction, Teresa just launches off the edge I set up an imprint to print four books. By the end of our first year, we have done over 20. <laughs> most of which were because Theresa had absolutely knocked the ball out of the park in terms of commissioning. Anytime Any time I'd have an idea for a book, Theresa would announce it. Yeah. Which created the biggest backlog any publisher could ever have in a space, possible space of time. We are meeting our commitments and we are delivering those books now. But it's been a hard time. Theresa is not always in the best of health. Hmm i've just had a heart attack um, and just spent time recovering from a heart attack so you know that was the stress of publishing obviously no not that. Um, but one of the things that happened out of that was we were we were producing a large amount of books mm-hmm. and the kind of stories that we were looking at were naturally targeting Women writers, we did uh, one of the first things we did was um, Christmas stories. Women love Christmas stories, it's one of those things, but it's not particularly a sex oriented or a gender oriented. Um, I think a lot
4: more men are bar humbug about Christmas. Yeah, men are
3: men are grumpy about Christmas. Yeah. We did um, modern retellings of, of fairy tales and other fairy tales, and that automatically attracted a lot of women who like that kind of stuff. Um, and so we started off very strongly in that camp. And as we were gathering steam, going to events and things like that, the, the issues about um, the way that women are treated in small circles, in the comic community, mm. in the, the SF community, or whatever, were starting to be talked about in a way that they hadn't been talked about a lot before. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I think an awful lot of these stories have come out woodwork well more recently, and I don't think that there's a bigger issue now than there was. I think there's a more open issue now than there. Hmm. and the people who didn't want to talk about it before are the ones who are complaining now because they still don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, But we we, we found that there were lots of issues. I mean, one of the things about Her Dark Voice, yes, it is an all-women anthology. That's a double-edged sword very often. Um, This was a specific thing that Theresa wanted to do to make a point about a particular type of writing. Yeah. if somebody suddenly... I, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's a publisher I can't mention and I'm not having a go at them because I think the fact that they've uh, seen something and they're doing something about it really matters. Um, but a publisher realised they've not published much by women.
1: Yeah.
3: So their response was, let's do a women-only anthology. Hmm. Um, and that sent out two signals. On the one hand, it was saying we're representing for women. On the other hand, it's saying we haven't been very really good. And secondly, the only way a woman's going to get published by us is if we have a women-only anthology. Yeah. Neither of those are the messages they intended to send. Mm. But those are the things that people talked about. When yeah, that, that's how it
1: was perceived. Um, mean, yeah. Steve Jones did one, didn't
3: he, a few um, years ago, a, a of
4: flack for being yeah, it in,
3: It's entirely possible. Now, I suggested an anthology, which I still dearly want <laughs> to do, um, which was actually Men versus Women, which is having the same advertising and marketing for two books, uh, a male editor, a female editor, or male book, or female book, same subject matter, roughly. And actually putting them out there, and not saying this is a book by women for women and this is a book by men for men. These are stories by women and stories by men. We're putting them in separate books, let's see how they sell. Hmm. When they've got exactly the same marketing, when they've got exactly the same, the same um,
1: uh, sales
3: pitch, when they've got exactly the same style of content... Is one going to sell more than the other? And if it's going to sell more than the other, why? why? Yeah. And the only way you could do that is to look at both books as identical in the same context. And, and I still hope we can, we can do that. Um, but it's the, the, the problem that we've got with with um, women's issues. Very often, is that the evidence is anecdotal mm-hmm. and it's not statistical. Uh, yeah. Because let's face it, nobody's been monitoring it for years and years and years and years. And years. Um, and all you get is people's experiences of this industry, that industry, this circuit, that circuit. And for every person who says there was a problem, there's 10 who say there wasn't. Mm. And that's not because the 10 are right and the one is wrong, but because no one likes to be criticised.
2: I have an anecdote I'd like to share, and you know what one is coming, don't you, Adrian?
5: Yes. I'm
2: not going to name the event again because it would be unfair, although I have referred to this in my essay for Horror 101. I went to a new horror convention two years ago now and it was with a bunch of friends and I was fully looking forward to it and I turned up the event, had a great day, but as the day progressed I started noticing something. For the 30 men that were there, I think there were a couple of wives, a couple of children and not one single female horror author, not one, not a single one. And, basically, I asked the question, at the end they gathered all the panellists up to the front. There was not a single female moderator, but it was a female organiser. And I said, can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Where are the women? A couple of blank stares as I asked the question. A couple of laughs. I said, no, I'm being serious. I said, this is a horror convention. Have a look at your photo up there, have a look at your panellists. There is not one single woman why haven't you got a female horror author there to which the organizer responded they just write mills and boots oh. of course i was grabbed by the guy next to me who's a friend restrained. he said i was literally restrained and he whispered into my ear you've made your point and then a whole debate ensued across the thing where people started looking at each other and A couple of people came up to me privately afterward and said, you know what, you were right. I think
3: it's worth mentioning that that event had 13 male writer guests. Mm. Not three or four. 13. 13.
2: And not even a female moderator. The sad thing was one of the organizers was the woman who made the Mills and Boom comment. And so I'll be sending her a copy of her dark voice as a complimentary gift. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those perennial
4: problems, getting, having organised a few conventions.
2: It's oh, God, tell me about it.
4: Getting, getting that balance. Getting to actually say they're going to come, never mind having the guests. You know, it's, um, it can be a real problem. It can... uh, <laughs> Although that did
2: sound rather like it was deliverable. Let's talk to Vicky you Um we yeah. can we speak oh, to absolutely, Vicky? Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
4: of
1: course. By all means. Hello. Cat Hello. chocolate now, have you? And it is spoon. Marvellous.
2: I'll just introduce a little bit about Vicky and yeah, the side. Sure. I approached her to write the foreword for the book. It is one of the most passionate, beautiful forewords I've ever read in my life. It's it's magnificent, it really is beautiful. And I asked her because I knew she was the right person, and if she tells you a little bit about herself,
6: that will explain why. Um, okay, well, um, I've, I've actually had breast cancer twice. Um, I'm 35 now, I was diagnosed when I was 30. Uh, a bit of a shock, wasn't expecting it, I'm going in family. Um, and then I had it once, I had all the treatments, and then I got diagnosed again, so I've sort of been through all the treatment twice over. Um, I've seen pretty much every of treatment it feels like there can be and I think I'm quite passionate about um, awareness at a young age because there's a lot of young people getting it um, mm-hmm. and so the numbers are increasing we don't know why, um, might be just that people are more aware of finding lumps and things where they weren't before um, and it's just about um, sort of letting people know it's alright you can get through this and there's a lot of trials, a lot of research going on and I think it's uh, brilliant What's, what Theresa's done here uh, you know, doing this book for, for charity, especially research charity. Because the research is so important. Yeah. I think breast cancer still is one of those ones that a lot of people have heard about you, about the wearing pink and all that sort of thing, but there's still a lot of stuff that he's doing because a lot of people are still dying from it and they're still getting incurable versions of it, you know, so there's a lot of work to be done still. Yeah. yeah. I think I have a question. We've
1: spoken a bit about kind of health issues and kind of what, what it leads onto in this music. To, to ask a question about it, uh, I mean, I, I personally, I had cancer about five years ago myself, okay. uh, and I know from my perspective, it kind of put a load of things into place for me, and it made me kind of go, actually, you know what, these are the things I want to do now, and it gave, it gave me a bit a bit more focus. Do you think that's a general thing that you know, kind of when when you face something like that, do you think? it makes you more, I don't know, does it push you further to do yeah. more?
2: Mm. I mean, from my point of view, um, sorry, because I don't know it's I just, um, I got sick six years ago. I was ill anyway with a condition called endometriosis, yeah. which is a female condition that affects the womb and the lining of the womb. Now, unfortunately, for many, many decades, doctors didn't believe in this disease. The way they don't believe in ME, the way they don't believe in fibromyalgia, which I also have. So do I. Now, I went into trauma during surgery for my endometriosis. They had to pull out of the surgery, and as a result, because of the trauma, I got fibromyalgia. One of the projects i plan to do is every year release a book where the proceeds will go to research into a particular health area. The next one I'm doing is endometriosis. I'll be also doing one on mental health and also one on fibromyalgia because I want people to understand how this can affect the person who suffers from this particular condition. You know, the pain. Mm-hmm. The constant pain. constant pain that just becomes background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You notice when you're not in pain rather than when you are. No. Exactly. That's, that's... You notice when you're having a good day rather than And it's never really a good day is it it's a not so bad day Um, also as well as that um i do think that there needs to be more awareness about conditions like endometriosis and i'm looking at raising funding next year to go around local surgeries to talk about these conditions have little sessions little workshop sessions around local surgeries where sufferers can go and talk about what experiences they've had to try and raise awareness in particular endometriosis because although I've had a hysterectomy which landed me with the trauma I've now been told that the only piece of feminine tissue left inside me might be engulfed again with this condition and I thought I'd escaped it so it's, it's one of those things. I think gender-based
4: d- disease generally yeah. is, is because it's taboo
2: Yes. Mm. It You're not point. allowed to talk about it. Oh yeah,
4: my, so, my, my, my my
1: testicular cancer, so yeah. That's, my earlier that's brother to talk um, about. died of testicular cancer at age 20. Mm. I mean, that was a
4: long time yeah.
1: ago. And my father died of uh, a, a male cancer also. And it, it's not talked about. No, it's really not. No, <laughs> and I, I remember at the time, because I did a big kind of blog at the time, and I put it out and loads of people were like, wow, I just didn't even think about it. No. But um, I
5: did think it did cause a lot of to people share. to check, and it caused a lot of women to check as well, like, yeah. oh, oh, my God, I, you know, we're so young, I don't, mm. don't think that we, we thought that it could happen, and yes, we ought to start checking as yeah. well. You. And he, he laughed uh, quite a lot that that one blog got so many women to touch themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother was 20, there's a, there's a young man at our writers' group,
4: who had testicular cancer at 13? Yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. you
1: know, it can strike at any age. Yeah, yeah
4: it's, it's crazy, so. yeah, yeah. And well, there's yeah. more when you will younger, I think. Yeah, well, I think and it's supposed
1: it. to be up until you're 35, because I was right at the kind yeah. of tail end when I did yeah.
2: it's sad to. that this is the situation, really. the gender yeah. based cancers yeah. are just so taboo that yeah. Yeah. people don't talk about it. Absolutely. Nice I mean, from surface. my point of view as well, it was a good thing in one way because I was stuck in a very boring, mundane, civil service job that I hated. Yes, hello, can you hear me? I hated that job. <laughs> and yeah, I went to the public too. Yeah, <laughs> and basically amazing. I started writing about my health. Then I started writing gruesome horror stories and started getting acceptances mm. and ended up with an anthology and then a collection of my own mm. because I had to find a way to express and to use that time when I was awake which is normally 3-6 till six in the morning, because I don't sleep very well. Uh, so, for me, it was a big eye-opener.
1: Look at, I'm aware that we're cutting into the, the time that the events supposed to start, so yeah. we're we'll kind of getting around to wrapping uh, Can we get a brief synopsis of the stories that are in the book?
2: Well, there are 12, so there's no way I through it. There are demons, there an are angels, there's a venomous mutation creature, there The
4: clinic actually deals
2: with cancer, deals with
4: leukemia.
2: Yeah. Okay. So is oh. out there. It's, it's a whole plethora of stuff there. I mean, it's just a marvellous collection of mixed, dark fantasy, science fiction and horror. And the horror that's in there is really quite dark. Can,
1: can you get it through a website or... You can web? get
2: it on Amazon. The ebook will be live at some point in the next few days. The paperback is live there at the minute. It's £9.99. Um, or you can order signed copies from myself through Facebook, from my website, wherever. Um, we're hoping to sell lots of copies and lots of raffle tickets today. But, yes, it's on Amazon.
1: Awesome. Okay, well... Hey. That's it. Thank you very much, everyone, for taking the time out to talk. And, yeah, well, uh, this should be up online at some point next week. And, yes, go out and buy the book.
2: Brilliant. Thank you.
1: No worries. Thank you very much.